Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews. The New Testament book of Hebrews and the book of Hebrews in chapter number 12. The book of Hebrews and chapter number 12. We are getting closer and closer of finishing off this series. And we're in the end part of these, this part of the book of Hebrews where it's describing as faith as the better way. And this morning we went through the hall of faith chapter in the book of Hebrews chapter number 11 where it went by faith, by faith, by faith. And we learned that faith always produces action. That faith looking into Jesus is going to produce action. After following after him it's going to take us outside of our comfort zone. And now we come to the book of Hebrews in chapter number 12 still carrying the same context of faith and living by faith and we come to the book of Hebrews chapter number 12. The book of Hebrews chapter number 12 and notice with me in verse number 1. Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 1 the Bible says this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so doth easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endureth such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Hebrews chapter number 12? The book of Hebrews chapter number 12, and notice this, Jesus, the author of and finisher of our faith in verse number 2 Hebrews 12:2 Jesus the author and finisher of our faith and with this we'd like to talk to you more about Jesus as he finished off our faith finished the work to allow us to have this faith the author and finisher of our faith. Let's go to the Lord together and let's talk to him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And I'm so thankful that you are the author and finisher of our faith, that it is completed, it is done. And now we just look up to you, trusting in you, knowing that you are going to bring your promises to come to pass, knowing that you are going to do what you said you were going to do, and that we could trust you, we could depend upon you, we could believe upon you. I'm asking that you would draw people near, that you would let their hearts be attentive. Maybe there's even someone that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, that today they would understand the love of Jesus, and they would understand what he did for them. Again, I surrender myself to you, and let you do your own work through your precious word even now. And in your name we pray. Amen. The author and finisher 
of our faith. As we come to this passage here, still describing faith, we start off with the first verse here in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. We see that Jesus is our goal. Jesus is our goal. It says in verse number 1, Wherefore seeing we are are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. In verse number 1 of chapter 12, it's giving an illustration of a race. And we understand that we all have a race to run. Now, unlike other races, we're not racing against each other. We're racing against our own opportunities and our abilities. Every single one of us have different abilities. Every single one of us have different opportunities. Not all of us know the same people. Not all of us have the same opportunities that have been opened up to us. That God knows this and he understands. And so we're not in a competition with someone else who has different abilities and different opportunities. We have our own opportunities, our own abilities that we're supposed to take advantage of looking unto Jesus, running the race. Now, what's the end of the race? What are we running towards? We're running towards Jesus. He's the goal. He's the one that we're trying to get to. It says, wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, this is in context of chapter number 11, where it ended up in chapter number 11. It was talking about all those people who died in faith. And they died to give us the word of God. They died to deliver the faith that we have. And we know that this is a Bible. This is a book that is drenched in blood. That people died to pass this Bible to us. They died to make sure that we can have a copy for our own selves. That there were people who lived by faith to allow us to even have the freedom that we have in our country. Why we still have it. They delivered to us. People shed their own blood in this country on its soil. To give us the to allow us to have the religious freedoms that we currently enjoy. And these people died not to allow us just to do whatever we want and lounge back. If you could imagine a relay race that everyone's run their lap and they have the baton and the third person's coming up and they're ready to pass the baton to us and they're running and what you do in a relay race is the other person starts running and they run together for a while so they can pass the baton. And can you imagine that your team, it's run the race over and over and they've passed the baton and now as they're getting ready to pass the baton, you go, ah, never mind and just let it drop. Wouldn't it be horrible? They run the race. They've done their part. And, eh, not for me. And just let it fall to the ground. What a horrible disgrace that would be. This is why it says, Wherefore, we, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that we have a responsibility to continue the race. We have a responsibility to continue to deliver the faith to every generation. We have a responsibility to continue to carry on with what they have done. What they have sacrificed. Could you imagine you take someone like a John Huss. A John Huss who was in Bohemia, which we now know as Germany. And during those days, he was the morning star of the Reformation. He was teaching people the word of God and preaching the word of God. And yet, because they did not like his message, they killed John Huss. But John Huss died to allow the Bible to go on. You take someone like a William Tyndale. 
a William Tyndale who was determined to get the word of God to every person. To make sure the word of God went forward. And instead, the people didn't like him. And so, they strangled him and burned him and killed him. Of course, his dying breath was that, that the plowboy would know as much scripture as the Anglican preached. And because of the word of God went forth in his labors to give us the Bible. Could you imagine facing John Huss? Knowing that he died to give us the Bible and you're like, eh, not, not for me. Can you imagine what did I die for if people are not going to give? I, why would I die if people are not going to use the word of God? You understand we could go over martyr after martyr after martyr. And seeing these people who died to deliver the faith to us. Amen. You ever want to get your heart stirred? Read Fox's book of martyrs. Account after account after account of people who died for the faith. You take someone like Bloody Mary, who was Queen Mary I of England, who was called Bloody Mary because she killed so many people who wanted to believe the Bible. And she had outlawed it and said, you cannot. And people died under her reign because they wanted to carry the word of God. You take someone like a Wycliffe. Wycliffe was determined to get the word of God into the English speaking people so people could read it for themselves. And after he died, they hated him so much, they dug his bones up, put it on trial, condemned him to death, uh, burnt his bodies, crushed up the, the bones, and threw it in the river as a sentence because they hated him and the work that he did. Could you imagine facing him and say, you know what? I know that you gave your life and whole life to to give us the word of God. Eh, it's not that big of a deal to me. I don't need it. I could get by without it. I can live the Christian life without it. What an insult. You understand? They ran their race the best they could to pass this baton to us. We have the responsibility to carry on where they left off and to do it well. Notice as it goes on in verse 1. Wherefore seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight. Now, I know you can't tell it now, but once upon a time I was a distance runner. <laughs> no problem. 7, 10 miles, knock that out, no problem. I'm distance runner. Now, in order to train, there would oftentimes, I would go to training and work on it. We'd run bleachers. There were times that we would have weights in our hands. So 5-pound weights, 10-pound weights, 20-pound weights. And we'd get used to running with the weights and have it uh, <laughs> strengthened up. Because when we ran without the weights, now we felt lighter. So it comes time to run your race. You're not going to stack up all the weights that you can. Not if you want to win your race. You get aside everything. You make sure that there's nothing there that could drag you down. Knowing that we're compassed with such a great a cloud of witnesses. Knowing that we have the responsibility to run the race now with our own opportunities. Our own abilities. And we're supposed to run it. We're supposed to set aside any weight. Anything that would slow us from doing what we're supposed to do. Following after Christ. Running the race. Delivering the faith. We have that responsibility. By the way, what type of things will weight us down? Notice this. The sin which so doth easily beset us. Sin gets in our way and it holds us back. 
It weighs us down. It keeps us from following after Christ. You know, sin has always put a distance between us and God. And if God's the goal, then the more sin that we have, the more distance we're going to have between us and the Lord. It keeps us from following after Him. If we want to run the race, knowing that people died to give us the Bible, to give us the faith, they delivered the freedom that we have today and that we get to enjoy while we have it. And to realize that we have the responsibility to run if we're going to run it the way that we're supposed to with our opportunities, with our abilities, then we also have to set aside anything to keep us from running that race. That Christ is the goal. Jesus is the goal. And that we have to keep going. Notice this. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let me remind you that the Christian life is a marathon, not a 50-yard dash. That we're in it for the long haul. <laughs> Doing distance running, it was always amazing. Now, I had long legs, I still do. But I learned how to use them. And you would set a pace. But you would always watch those people at the very beginning of it. You're going to run 7, 10 miles. You have to pace yourself. You don't try to run as fast as you can when you get off the, the gate. Because you're going to wear your body out. And those people who are running so fast, they get in front of everyone. They're just leaps and bounds in front of everyone, we're going to be passing them sooner than later. Amen. And they're going to be huffing and puffing. They're going to be doing their best to go on because they try to run a dash in a marathon. You understand? We're in it for the long haul. You keep going. We keep going. We have to pace ourselves. We have to keep going forward steadily. Not stop and start, stop and start. Of course, everyone knows the Aesop's parable, parable of the... Um, Fable of the tortoise and the hare, right? The hare kept bouncing around and, oh, I got time. You know, that's one of the things. We think we're ahead. Guess what? We take breaks. We relax. We whatever else. I could catch back up. All that stuff gets involved in there. And that's pride. And next thing you know, we've taken too long. And now we're not doing our best. We're running carelessly. Trying to catch back up. Trying, And then you keep doing the stutter starts. What we're supposed to do is be methodic careful pacing ourselves knowing it is a marathon doesn't mean that we run slow but we run at a pace that we can maintain Amen. knowing that our goal it's a marathon not a 50-yard dash my pastor used to tell me that all the time slow down it's not a dash it's a dash it's a marathon marathon and had to keep telling me that over and over and over because I was one of those crazy people that thought we could go fight hell with a squirt gun and you just tackle it and keep going forward my pastor had to remind me and that was been a great help because I don't want to burn out after a short time I want to keep going the entire race with what God has given so not only do we see that Christ is our goal and our race, by the way, speaking of a race, again, forgive the personal illustrations, but distance running used to be something I do, that what you do in distance running is that you're not looking at the, <coughs> you keep your eye on something uh, to run towards, that otherwise it will look like you're never running towards something. Let's say that there's a telephone pole. So I put my eyes on that telephone pole and I run toward the telephone pole. Then I find something else. You find a goal. Well, here you find Jesus Christ. You keep looking at him and you keep running towards that point. You keep running towards him. Jesus Christ is the goal. 
Well, as we come to verse number two, we see not only did Christ, Jesus, our goal, we also see Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us. Notice with me in verse number two, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse two. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now in Hebrews chapter number 11, it described faith. And Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it defines faith. What is the definition of biblical faith? Looking unto Jesus. So whenever someone comes to the place, what is the Christian life all about? Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. You know, a lot of people have faith in different things. But it's not how much faith you have. It is the object of your faith that matters. There are many people that put their faith in Mother Earth. But when it's all said and done, Mother Earth is not going to take care of things. But yet, they are very, very faithful, dedicated to their belief. But their belief does not save. It is the object of our faith that matters. So the definition of biblical faith is looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now that's a wonderful phrase. What does that mean? That he's the one who authored our faith. He's the one who allowed us to have faith in the first place and he finished it. It is because of him and him alone that we're able to have faith. What does that mean? What does it mean that he is the author and finisher of our faith? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, you say joy? Well, the more that you study the cross, the more you ask the question, joy? What happened to Jesus? Well, it started off at the Garden of Gethsemane. As he prayed there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed so vehemently that great drops of sweat begin to mix and break into his cap. His capillaries would break, mix in with the sweat, and he literally sweat. Great drops of blood. Now, medically speaking, this allowed his skin to become paper thin and made it so it was easy to tear. That will show up later. After that, he was arrested and put on a false trial. Still hasn't been to sleep. He's already been awake for a good number of hours, 24 hours almost at this point. He's arrested, put in a false trial in the middle of the night. People lied against him. People were hired to lie against him during that trial. All kinds of shenanigans happened and he was found to be guilty. However, the Hebrew people could not carry out the sentence of death. So they needed the Romans to carry it out. And so they approached the Romans and they put up a false charge that he wasn't found guilty of. He was found guilty by the Hebrews of breaking the Hebrew law. They told the Romans that he was trying to raise up an uprising against the Romans. And so they lied against the charge. Because of shenanigans, because of politicalness, they found Jesus Christ guilty and the Romans sentenced him to death. And then what they did, Pilate, in an honest attempt to save Jesus' life, figured that if he could satisfy the bloodlust of the people, that, that they would let him go. And so Pilate scourged Jesus. Now, what does that mean? They had a cat of nine tails, a whip with nine whips or lashes on it. At the end of each one of those 
uh, leather straps. There would be a piece of glass or a rock or a hook of some sort. And they were made so that you would take that cat of nine tails and whip it across the back. First century historian Josephus explained that just after one lash, that hook would catch into the skin and tear into the back. And that you could literally touch your finger to the actual bone of the victim. And what they did to the Lord Jesus Christ is they took that cat of nine tails and they whipped him. And they whipped him. And they whipped him until his back looked like hamburger meat. It was cut to shreds. Bleeding. Then Pilate took a robe and put it around Jesus and presented him before the people with the hopes that they would see that he was already beaten and battered, to see he was already bloodied, with the hopes that the people would turn away. However, the Jewish uh, <laughs> priesthood hated him so much, they stirred up the crowd and they still chanted, crucify him, crucify him. Well, what they did that robe began to stick to the blood of Jesus, began to soak up the blood and began to coagulate, basically began to start the process of scabbing it over and they ripped that robe off and it reopened those wounds once again and he began to bleed. Then they took him and they blindfolded him and the Roman soldiers put him in a gauntlet with Roman soldiers on either side and they took their hand and they buffeted him against the face and then they dared to say, who hit you? And they just walked through. He, his face began to be so swollen that the Bible describes that you couldn't even tell that he was a man anymore because of how swollen his face was. They mocked him. They hit him over the head with a thick rod. They took a crown of thorns with big thorns several inches uh, long, and they hammered it into his head. They tortured him. Then they put him on the cross. Normally in the ancient world, the Roman uh, Empire, they would either scourge someone or crucify him. Jesus went through both forms of punishment. They put him up on the cross. They nailed him on the cross. Now back in those days, the wrist was considered part of the hand. And in here is the median nerve, the most sensitive nerve in the body. It runs all the way past your elbow. If you hit it just right, you would say you hit your funny bone, but it's not very funny when you do it. When they were hammering that, that spike through his wrist, it was like taking a pair of pliers and grabbing... Uh, the nerve and twisting it. That electricity would be shooting through your arm with each jolt and each movement. And they nailed him up on the cross. Now when someone would die up on the cross, it was a slow, painful death. It would usually take about three days for someone to die on the cross. Because they would die of asphyxiation. They would die by not getting enough oxygen in the lungs. As someone was nailed to the cross, their body would hang, their their chest cavity would be hunched over and they could not get enough oxygen in that position. So in order to breathe, to get enough oxygen in their body, they would have to use their hands, use their legs and push against the back of that cross in order to take a breath. And then they would slide back down. Well, every time he moved, because that spike was put deep in his wrist, every time it moved, it would rotate around those wrist bones, have the bones grind even more. That nerve, once again, getting pushed and twisted, electricity shooting through his arm. That breathing was painful. 
But for the Lord Jesus Christ, it was worse. Because the cross that he was on, it wasn't nice sanded wood. But it was almost like a railroad tie. One of those big thick pillars that you'd find in a railroad. Full of splinters, just rugged wood. And every time he would breathe, those wooden spikes on his back would drive further into those wounds. Just taking a breath was a painful experience. And so his choice was to go through pain or get oxygen in his body. And so you could see anyone. It would be longer and longer. That they would try to hold their breath. In that position. Before taking it. All during that time. People mocked him. Even the two thieves on the cross. Both of them. For a time were railing on him. That carries the idea that they were mocking him. And yelling at him. Come on I thought you were the son of God. Watching people gamble for his clothes. And by the way, the Bible speaks quite a bit about Jesus' clothes. That's a different study for a different time. But they were precious to him. And they gambled for it. People lying, people jeering him, people making fun of him. All during the time he's dying on the cross. And yet the Bible says this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What do you mean joy? Well, we understand and we've been describing this year that joy is not a silly smile placed on your face. It is a peace that passeth all understanding. It's a peace and faith and trust in God. And so what happened as Jesus Christ is going through all of these things, he's literally thinking of you and thinking of me. He's thinking people need salvation. That for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That Jesus was thinking of you. He was thinking of me. And he said, I'm willing to suffer all of this. So they can be forgiven of their sins. I want them to be forgiven of their sins. I'm willing to suffer all of this. For the joy that was set before him. He was thinking of you. That's what kept him on the cross. He could have stepped down at any time because he was God. He could have called legions of angels. What kept him up there? It was not those spikes. It was love. Jesus Christ's body was losing so much blood. That his body was starting to get to a place called hypovolemic shock. Hypo means low Volemic carries the idea of the volume of fluids within your body. Hypovolemic shock. He began to get to the place where there wasn't enough fluid in his body. Well, his heart, its job is to pump blood to all the areas of the body. And because the body is not getting enough blood and enough oxygen, it's beating harder in order to get the blood to all sources. However, the harder that it beats, the more he bleeds out. And so that's starting to cause a problem. Because his heart is beating harder and faster. It's causing more friction. And around your heart you have something called the periocardial sac. It is basically a smooth muscle that fills up with fluid just a little bit. To ease the friction to help. But what's happening is because so much friction is going up. That periocardial sac is filling up more. And what's happening instead of easing the friction. It's putting more pressure on the heart. Now the heart is having a hard time beating. Because of the thing that's actually supposed to protect it. Eventually what happens is that the heart gives out. The official cause of death. 
a periocardial infraction. May we say it in a common term? He died of a broken heart. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And of course, we know he didn't stay dead. He rose again the third day. And now he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. But what we see here is that Christ died for us. But there's one more thing I want to show you from this text about him being the author and finisher of our faith. He is the author of faith, meaning he provided faith. He was the finisher of our faith. He finished it on Calvary. It is done and finished. All that is left is for you and I to accept that free gift of salvation. He has finished it. There is no more work that has to be done. You can be forgiven of your sins today. Because of what Jesus Christ has done. He has finished it. But notice one last thing in verse number 3. We see that Jesus is our goal. Jesus died for us. But we also see that Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. Notice in verse 3. For consider him. So we're supposed to consider him. Who's that him? That's Jesus. For consider Jesus that endured such contradiction of sinners Against himself. What does this mean? Remember. As he's currently dying for all of the sins. Of all the sinners in the world. Those same sinners. Are at the foot of the cross. Making fun of him. I thought you were God. If you were God. Step down. Look. He can save others. But he can't save himself. He's dying for those people. They're making fun of him the same time as he's dying so they don't have to die and go to hell. By the way, according to the book of Acts, some of those people that were at the cross did come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But the same time they're making fun of him, he is dying for them. How does this apply to us? For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You know, it is easy for us to get impatient with people around us. But we have the example of Jesus Christ. As he is dying for them, they're making fun of him. And he died for them anyways. While he was on the cross, they railed against him. And according to the book of 1 Peter, he railed not against them. They mocked him. He didn't mock back. He didn't say, I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to show you. I'll teach you. Just you wait. He didn't threaten them. The Bible says, consider him. We know that we live in a world that's not kind. And our flesh, our human nature, likes revenge. It likes to even the score. It likes to get back at people. And yet Jesus never did that. Even while he was in the process of dying. And they were making fun of him. Wouldn't we be understanding if he started shouting things back at him? Wouldn't we be understanding? Because wouldn't we do that too? But yet Jesus not only endured the cross and the joy that was set before him. He gave us an example to follow that when he was in his most pain, when he was in his medically worse, when he was in the physical low spot, he still 
did not resort to try to get revenge, not to try to hurt people with their words, not to give promises of, of threats. The Bible says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Now let's tie that together. In verse 1, we said we're in a race. And this race is against our own abilities and our own opportunities. And we have the example of Jesus who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. We know that according to the Hebrews 11, we explained this morning, that faith requires trials. And there are a lot of trials that come in our way. And yet, we're supposed to follow after Jesus and remember him so we don't faint or get weird in our mind. What does that mean? You know, it gets kind of tiresome to work so hard for people and they don't care. It's so hard to pour your life into someone and watch them not obey, to watch them to turn away. And our normal human response is fine. If they don't want it, I'm wiping my hands of you. Isn't it easy for us to do that, to write people off? To say, I've given everything to you and all you've done is take, take, take. And I'm tired of giving. Well, Jesus gave it all. And he willfully, joyfully did it. Lest you get wearied in your mind. You know how easy it is for people to quit? I don't want to get to boohoo statistics, but statistics of pastors. Most pastors quit because they feel like people don't care. By the way, that's part of ministry. You know what the biggest curse of the ministry is? Wanting more for people than what they want for themselves. That you could look and say, I want to help you. I'm trying to tell you what the answer is. And they get glassy-eyed. And, and you know that they're no longer listening. And you're like, well, you understand I can't quit. By the way, it's not just for pastors. It's anyone who's working in the ministry. Whether you're discipling, teaching a class, you get so frustrated. Why don't these parents help these kids? But we have the idea that we're supposed to follow after Christ and continue to serve Jesus Christ. Continue to move forward no matter what their response is because our goal is God. It's not them. We're supposed to be pleasing to him. We've mentioned the martyrs before. It'd be amazing to see, the, as you read through the Fox's Book of Martyrs or, or Martyr's Mirror or some of these other great stories of historical of accounts, how it's repeated over and over, for example. There would be a group of people who would be sentenced to death. And as they're putting them up on the fire to be burnt at the stake, the Christians would be there. They would put them in bonds. Then they would put a bag of gunpowder that they would wrap around their throat for the purpose that once the fire would get high enough, it would actually blow off their head. And so they're tied to the stake. They're tied. And you know what they're doing? They're singing. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. And as the fire is burning around them, yes, they are hurt, but they're still thanking God. And they're praising the Lord. And they have such a peace. 
So much that when they die, the Roman, the soldiers would go up to their supervisors and say, put us up on the stake. They're like, what, you crazy? No, whatever they have, I want that. You would have the people who would be put up on the rack. You know what the rack is. They would put them on a, on a table and they would have wheels and pulleys to stretch out their arms and their legs. And they would pull them out of joint and they would hold it there and keep them there for days. And as the people would come to release them to see if they would confess, to see if they would turn away from Jesus Christ. As they put them back, they would say, no, please keep us on it because God is so real to us here. And the people doing the torture would shake their heads and say, what's wrong with them? What do they have? What's there? You understand it is because of the testimony of these people that others came to know Christ as their Savior. If you go and review the story of Stephen, Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. They hated Stephen. They hated his message. And so they hired people to lie against him. They put him in a false trial. And then they found him guilty. They rushed him outside. And back in the ancient world, they would have outside of the city pits with rocks all around it, place for stoning. And they threw Stephen in the middle of it. And they took stones. And they threw them at Stephen. And he could feel the bones breaking. He could feel one crack his head and the blood coming down. And they would stone him they would slowly rock him to sleep and you know what he was doing as the bones were being crushed Lord forgive them Lord save them Lord hold this not don't hold this to their account don't hold them guilty at the end of verse number seven or chapter seven an important verse is said and there was a young man by the name of Saul who was consenting unto his death. He was holding the coats. He watched this. Later on. He's standing before. Uh, Roman governors. He's standing before the kings at the time. And you know what he says? I'll never get over that young man. Who died in that pit. Saying please save me. Stephen prayed for me as he died. I should have been worthy of death. And the only reason why I was able to get saved because of that young man died right. He died right. Jesus was his example. And even though they were trying to kill him, he was still following after Jesus. Forgive them. Forgive them. You understand it took the deaths of some of those martyrs for others who would have never gotten saved to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because they want to see someone who dies differently. Someone who dies right. It has such an impact. Now I'm not saying that we're supposed to go die. But there's a practical application. Not to kill everyone near us because we're having a bad day. Just because we're hurting doesn't mean we have to be grumpy about it. Just because we're aggravated with people around us doesn't mean we tear their head off. Just because we've poured everything into them and they've let us down time after time after time doesn't mean that we just write them off and just hope that they just go fall into a pit themselves. Jesus is our author and the finisher of our faith. 
He died on the cross so we could all have salvation. And he died on the cross where people were making fun of him and laughing and mocking him. And not once did he raise his voice, but still he desired for all of them to get saved. And we could follow that same example. Looking unto Jesus. Living our life by faith. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.